1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19 through 22. <coughs> Excuse me. This is the word of the Lord. Please give it your full attention. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Gracious Father, thank you for your word. We come to you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. We come to you by the help and power and strength of your Spirit. And Lord, we ask that this morning that you would help us along as we consider what it means to prize preaching. Lord, that uh, our ears would be open to hear, that our minds would be enabled to understand, uh, that our hearts also would be enabled to believe. Lord, and that you would give strength to our feet and hands to obey. Lord, I decrease that you may increase, be glorified in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Once again, I welcome you on this Lord's Day Sabbath as we continue our series, which is nearing its end, uh, encouragements while we wait. Last week, we considered the connection between prophecy and preaching in both, in both that is prophecy and preaching, preaching, uh, God speaks to his people. Preaching is an authoritative word from the Lord, word from God to his people that is both evangelistic and instructional. It is both the law and the gospel that builds up the church unto maturity, maturity and or as the Holy Spirit and the word both are effective and effectual for the salvation and sanctification of God's people. Now, that was a mouthful for preaching. Today, then, with God's help, we shall consider three points surrounding this command. Do not despise prophetic utterances. Now, since we made the connection between prophecy and preaching, we know that prophecy is not preaching, but there is an overlap. There is a connection between the two. So then we can rightly say, do not despise preaching. Now, again, they are not the same. There is an overlap in prophecy. God speaks to his people in God's word. God speaks to his people. There is an overlap. If you weren't here last week, go back and hear that sermon. I'm not going to repreach it this morning. Three points on the command. Do not despise preaching. Let's begin with our first. Number one, ways we may despise preaching. Ways that we may or might despise preaching. Brothers and sisters, <clears throat> might I say, I do not, or some of us might say, I do not despise preaching. I love preaching. Praise God for that. I'm, I'm hoping that that's all of our attitudes. I love preaching. Take these next statements then as being things that we should be aware of. You may say, I don't despise preaching. I love it. Well, then let's all take these next statements as being things that we should all be aware of when we are hearing preaching. In this point, I am going to mix both theological and more personal warnings that I have experienced over time. In saying so, <clears throat> I would like all of us to take this note. Do not assume that any of these points are directed to any one person. 
but rather they are things that apply to all of us and they are things that we must all avoid. Is that is that clear? These points that we're going to go through really throughout the entire sermon, they are not directed toward one person and I never direct a sermon toward one person. But there are things for all of us. They should apply to all of us. Now then, ways that we might despise preaching. We might despise preaching in terms of style. Style. Uh, when I say style, I'm referring to preaching method. When I say style, I'm referring to the preaching method. There are three. That of topical. That is when a pastor... Uh, preaches on a particular topic of a text. There is exegetical, when a pastor preaches consecutively, as we do, through a particular book. We also preach topically, by the way, which is what I have been doing over the past uh, 15 weeks. Or sermons of occasion. Sermons of occasion. That is when a pastor preaches a sermon because there is a certain occasion or holiday that happens to be taking place. Brothers and sisters, of the three, topical, exegetical, and occasional, which is the most biblical of these to preach? This may shock you. They are all helpful. They are all appropriate. And we can find evidence for each of these throughout the scriptures. So then we must not despise the pastor or, or sermon when the sermon uh, and the pastor is preaching through an entire book. Don't despise it. Nor when a pastor is preaching topically, week after week. Is that pastor preaching and drawing from different texts faithfully? Are they faithfully exegeting God's word? Are they faithfully saying what God has said? Then we must not despise it. We must prize it. We, we must not dis, uh, demand the pastor preach a sermon that is related to the advent of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ during the holiday of Christmas. We must not demand it. But we must also not despise it if he preaches something else. If he preaches something that has nothing to do with the advent of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ during the uh, holiday of Christmas, is he preaching faithfully God's word and accurately God's word? Then we must prize preaching and not despise it. Now, for a more common way that we despise preaching, we must not despise preaching for its style. Now, I just said that, didn't I? Here's a different form of style. We discussed this last week, but we must not despise preaching, or we must beware of not despising preaching, because we simply do not prefer the style of the preacher. We must not tune out because we don't like the way he is maybe too quiet or maybe too dynamic. We must not tune out or despise the preaching because maybe the pastor is too animated or not animated enough. Is he reserved? Is he serious? Is he funny? Is he eloquent? Does he preach long? Does he preach too short? Does he have an accent? We all like those. The list goes on and on and on. Brothers and sisters, we are often way too concerned with these style points. Style points. Now, granted, we would be lying if we did not say that there are more uh, more preachers than others who are maybe more gifted than others in terms of oratory. 
in terms of the way that they are able to deliver a sermon. That's just rhetoric, though. Some are easier to listen to. Some, Some have a simpler style than others. But all of this is subjective. One person can listen to a pastor and say, I really like it, like him, the way he preaches. Another person can listen to the same pastor and say, I don't, don't really care for him. That's subjective. We do not all like the same things. Therefore, we must not allow these things to be a hindrance to us and reasons why we might despise preaching. Again, is God's word faithfully and and accurately and properly being taught? Then we must prize preaching. We may despise preaching when we don't understand interpretation. There's another one. Dear saints, when your pastors preach... We are presenting to you proper ways to interpret a text. Proper ways to interpret a text. It's vital that you take note of these methods. Uh, We are helping you to understand, here's a big word, but you've heard it before, hermeneutics. That is the philosophy of interpreting God's word. And we must take note of how your pastors are doing that because we're showing you, here's how you study the text. Here's how when you open up God's word, you are to see it. So when God's word is being expounded, taught, uh, we must understand that a given text or a given portion of, of text says what it says. And we are helping you to see what it says. And that varies. It varies in terms of how much it says or how little it says. Therefore, we must be careful not to uh, regard or or uh, in regard to uh, interpretation we must be careful not to expect too much from a particular text we might say that sermon didn't say much it could be that maybe the text didn't say much that's all we had it could be that there's uh, not every text is is creates a full orbed sermon sometimes a text says what it says And praise God for that. For example, why are the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, why are the Gospels written? They are intended to persuade us that Christ is the Messiah. And that all who come to him in faith will be saved. Therefore, every miracle, every work, every authoritative teaching, the sufferings of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, they are all intended to beget faith and to foster faith in you. So, when someone is teaching through the book of Matthew, the conclusion of maybe every sermon should be this, Christ is the Messiah King, the one that has been promised. That's that's the point of the text. Creating something other than that is going outside of what the text is intending. This was consistent with us in the book of Genesis that we spent so much time in. Can anybody, after the almost four years that we spent In the book of Genesis, could you give the main point of the book of Genesis? What's the main point of the book of Genesis? Here it is. Is that the seed of the woman that was promised shall come and nothing shall stop the gospel from going forward. That's the, I could have saved you four years. That's the point of the book of Genesis. God was advancing the promise of the gospel at the fall of man. The seed will crush the head of the serpent. He will bring salvation to his people. Well, I wanted something more. You don't expect more than what the Bible is just giving you. Here's what the Bible is giving you. That's, we shouldn't expect a sermon on, on dinosaurs. The Bible's not about dinosaurs. 
It's about the seed of the woman, the promised Savior saving his people. We should expect God's word to be faithfully taught. And if it is, prize preaching. Prize it. We despise preaching when, here's another one, when our personal agendas, be they political or personal, are, and preferences, be they doctrinal or whatever, are not taught. We despise, we must be aware of despising preaching when our personal agendas or preferences are not taught. We must be aware when subjects or even doctrines that we are most interested in are not being emphasized in a manner in which we desire. Take, for example, last year or the year before, whenever it was, when there was political unrest in the country. Go, go to listen to sermons all throughout the land. How many sermons were beginning to focus on critical race theory and uh, politics and so on and so forth? Brothers and sisters, uh, there are times for that. Uh, but we don't fashion our sermons based upon current events. We preach God's word. And does God's word sometimes touch on things that are going on outside of, of these walls? Yes. But we never allow what's going on on the outside to affect what's going on here on the inside. We take what is going on here and take it out there. Now, if one happens to be very interested in the doctrine of eschatology, that is the study of end times, we must not despise a sermon when the pastor does not oblige and teach more about end times or make statements about the end times. Another one, if one happens to be interested in the study of covenant theology, which most Reformed Baptists are, and each sermon is not touching on the nuances of that doctrine, we must not despise preaching. Those and many other doctrines, they are great. Please don't misunderstand me. But we do not have the right to impose our pet doctrines on the rest of the congregation. Imagine someone who's steeped in covenant theology being in the same church as someone who is just learning about the doctrines of grace or just learning about what it means to be justified by faith alone. How would that person who is just learning the doctrine of justification how would they be able to keep up with a person who is learning about the nuances of the Abrahamic covenant? It would be ter terribly difficult. Is God's word faithfully and accurately being taught? Then prize preaching. Don't despise it. We often despise preaching. We must be careful of this. This is an important one. When we long for more background. More background. Again, this is an interesting one. And one that early on in my walk with Christ... I also fell into. It was because I was getting no word from where I was coming from. But background meaning this. We think sometimes. No, we must not think. I should say it that way. We must not think that if we can get into, when reading the word, the time period, the culture, the mindset of the book that we are reading, then we will be able to understand God's word. If we can get the background. Again, I've done this before. We must beware of despising preaching if it does not include things like, what year was the book written? What kind of house were the people at that time living in? What was going on in the world outside of that little world during that time? How did people dress? What kind of occupation did people have? How much were they getting paid? Etc., etc., if I understand all of these things, then I will understand the Bible. Not so. Not so. Not so. 
those things, what uh, admittedly can be interesting, they are limited in authority and even limited in value in terms of understanding God's word. You, I, I don't need to say the name, but if you want to ask me who does this the most often and who gets the most credit for it, you can talk to me after that. But spending 15 or 20 minutes giving you a background will not help you understand God's word. It will not help you better know God's word or God. Knowing God's word. How, how will you better know God and his word? By knowing God's word. Not by knowing a background. Again, interesting? Yes. Are they bad? No. Necessary? Not at all. Not at all. What is God seeking to communicate to us here in His Word? It is not about what people wore, where they lived, and a bunch of other things that we could say. Who cares? What is God communicating to me about himself? What is God communicating to me about Christ? What is God communicating to me about the Holy Spirit? Salvation, sanctification, glorification. This is what is important. What they wore, how much they got paid, uh, what kind of house they lived in, doesn't matter. This is what is important. And if this is what's taking place, then God's word is being faithfully taught and we must not despise it. Here's another one. When we might, we must be aware of despising preaching when our traditions are challenged. When our traditions are challenged. This is not true for any of us, I know. But each week, wrong thinking is being challenged by God's word and by his spirit. And they are being, hopefully, corrected. Wrong assumptions, wrong traditions, wrong desires, wrong motives, wrong behaviors... And they are all being challenged, confronted by God's word and spirit and prayerfully connected or corrected. We must beware of taking offense and being defensive even. Despising a sermon when things that we have gotten wrong are being confronted and hopefully being made right. Our minds are being renewed. That's what God's word is for. We don't come into the church hoping that everything in our life stays the same. We don't come into the church hoping that everything in our thinking and in our beliefs stays the same. We are hoping to grow, to learn, to be challenged. And when we are, don't despise it. Praise God for it. Many years ago, a sermon was was taught by Pastor Isaiah, who's probably out in the foyer. And it was dubbed, I think it was dubbed by Brother Anthony, dubbed the Sabbath Sermon. Listen to how I said, the Sabbath Sermon. Granted, I taught seven sermons on the Sabbath, but Pastor Isaiah's was the Sabbath sermon. Why? Because it was a sermon that really drew the line. It drew a line in the sand and challenged all of our blasé uses of the Lord's Day. Many were shook. Many were challenged. And many, those who are still here, accepted God's word as being true. Praise be to God. They did not, you did not despise preaching, but praised God because even though it challenged some of our traditions, some of the things that we are very comfortable with, we accepted and embraced God's word as being such and asked him for strength to obey it. 
Application. Application is another way that we might despise a sermon. What is application? Do all the texts have application? I I love Pastor Isaiah uh, about a year or two ago. His application was always this. Here's the application. Praise God. (laughs) Praise God. There are things, these are the things that we call practical. What can I take from this sermon for me? How does this sermon relate to me? Well, brothers and sisters, we don't go into the Bible looking for ourselves. We go to the Bible looking for God, understanding God. Therefore, we must understand this. When you're reading the story of David and Goliath, you're not David in the story. When you're reading the story of uh, Jericho, God's not telling you to walk around your problems and watch them come falling down. Every story in the Bible is not a, a... it's not meant to say, instead of the name that's, that's in the story, put your name there. God's not telling us to be like the poor widow who gave all of her last to the, the prophet Elijah. Don't read the Bible and say, what does this mean to me and for me? It's a terrible way. What is God saying about himself? What is God communicating about himself? What is God communicating for his people in ways that we should know him? Here's Christ. Here's how we live in light of that doctrine. Because right doctrine leads to right living. But we must understand that not all points are designed to give us a list of what we should do and what we should not do. Some passages are designed for us to know. And that's it. The application is at times, know this and believe it. We like things that are about us. But the scriptures are actually about God. This is why we must be careful of longing for personal stories in a sermon. Longing for short, little, and I'm guilty of this too. Longing for short stories that are comical and funny. uh, Because it all of a sudden takes our mind off of the things that are intense and real, that are challenging. And makes us feel like, I, I can relate to that person. There are times when the application is this. Rest in Christ. There are times when the application is this, know Christ. And that's more often than not. I needed medication. Dear ones, here's the application. Or here's your medication. Rest in Christ. There's your medication. Many sermons, uh, the application is, change your wrong thinking on this doctrine and believe this. We must be aware of wanting to be given a certain specific, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to live? Saints, that's what the law and the gospel are for. In the law, we turn to God's commands and the gospel rejoice. We rejoice because Christ has fulfilled these commands and we can rest in Him. Saints, I imagine there are many ways that we could address, uh, many other ways that we could address how we might despise preaching. I pray the Holy Spirit, maybe even bringing some of those things to your mind now, but that you would be challenged to avoid despising preaching when God's word is being brought forth. Let's go to our second point. Now, we've just discussed uh, despising preaching. We may think, well, the next point is going to obviously be how we should appreciate or prize preaching. I'm going to go in a different direction. Point two is how we should avoid over-prizing preaching. Over-prizing preaching or how we could avoid uh, too highly 
surprising preaching. That probably doesn't make sense either. But 1 Thessalonians 5.20, do not despise prophetic utterances. This may be surprising, but I think it's important. How could we too highly prize a portion of our worship that God has blessed for the means or as a means of grace for our sanctification, for our growth, for our encouragement. How could we despise this too much? I pray that none of us fall into these categories. And if we do, let us repent and ask God to help us correct wrong beliefs, wrong behaviors. But we prize preaching too highly when attending a sermon is church. When attending a sermon is church. Meaning, in the church world, there are many who go to church simply as sermon goers. They are there to hear the sermon and no more. Because the sermon is church to them. They will go, hear their sermon, and go home. Uh, they care nothing about being early for church, and they care most about making sure that they get out as soon as they get a chance as soon as there's the opportunity for people to intermingle because they are not there for any of that. They're there for the sermon. They care nothing about the other means of grace that have been provided and promised for the Lord to bless us. Come to evening service. Why? The Lord's Supper is there. God has provided for you a means of grace here. I was blessed in the morning sermon. I've had enough. Brothers and sisters, that kind of person prizes preaching too much and values too little the other means of grace. They are sermon goers. They don't care for the other saints. They don't care for the other means. They are there for entertainment and for good rhetoric. Brothers and sisters, that is not what God has called for his people to be. Our estimation of sermons must not be imbalanced when measured against the other means of grace. Is this sermon greater than the Lord's Supper? No, they are equal in value. Is this sermon or is the Lord's Supper greater than the prayer that we will have today at 4.30? No, they are equal in value. Is prayer that we'll have at 4.30 greater than baptism that I pray that, Lord willing, but soon someone in here will be baptized because all of you have been baptized. Is, is that means of grace any greater than the other? No, they are equal in value. Dear sojourners, we have come to add our voice to the congregation as we sing the praises of God. We have come to pray with the one who speaks. Even though one speaks, we all pray. We have come to partake in the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and proclaim His death and resurrection until He comes. We have come to rejoice in our baptism and the baptism of others. We are holding hands together as the Word of God goes forth saying, I am running with you. All of these things are important. We prize preaching too highly when we don't care about all of those other things but just the sermon. That's a great problem. We prize preaching too highly when we prize the preacher too highly. Uh, we far too quickly take hold of our favorite preacher, our favorite theologian, our favorite evangelist or whatever, and exalt them as God's greatest gift to the church. We have such a celebrity culture of preachers. Some of us might lose our mind like we were seeing the Beatles if we saw our favorite preacher. 
I pray that not be the case. Your pastor is a gift to you from Christ, but Christ is the greatest gift to the church. I say, and I will say, I believe that conferences have added to the celebrity culture or celebrity nature of preachers. Here's the lineup and here's their pictures. Now, for some preachers, it has become the goal of their life to be featured in some of these big conferences, to have their name and their picture among the keynote speakers. That's their goal. Rather than just being a faithful preacher who accurately and faithfully teaches God's word to a church that maybe nobody knows except for God. And be the pastor that maybe nobody knows except for his small congregation and God. Now, I'm going to say this with balance, I pray. It's fine to go to a conference. You won't be uh, condemned by me or anybody else if you do so. It's fine to listen to conferences. It's fine to have men who really do bless you in certain ways. All of that is great. Don't make them your celebrity, though. Don't make them your celebrity. This was the rebuke that the Apostle Paul gave to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Some were lauding Paul, who was very unimpressive in speech, but impressive in writing. And some were lauding Apollos, who was very impressive in preaching, but had no writings as far as we know. They were pledging allegiance. I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. Here's what Paul, here is what Paul's response was. Who's Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom, servants through whom you believed. Even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. The Lord gave me an opportunity to preach the gospel to you. I planted, Apollos watered, but God causes the growth. So then neither one who has planted, nor the one who waters is anything, but God who gives the growth. Paul's response to this problem which, which is this, which one of us died for you? Spurgeon didn't die for you. Calvin didn't die for you. Antonio and Isaiah didn't die for you. Christ died for you. We are field workers. That's all we are. We are field workers. We don't cause any of you to grow. God does. So then praise God. Praise Christ. Don't praise your pastor. Don't make him or them your celebrity. It's interesting because on the one hand, we are to very highly, remember that, very highly esteem those who have been given charge over you. But there must be a balance to this, to this esteem. Respect them. Don't praise them. Respect them. Don't worship them. Respect them. Don't make them your celebrity. Your pastor is not Christ. Your pastor is not infallible. Your pastor does not have all the right answers. Your pastor will make mistakes. Your pastor will offend you. Christ will not. Christ will not. There was a time years back when many men in this church... Take point to this. I said this in the beginning of the sermon. These are not about anyone. This is generally for all of us. But but this is specific. There were many, there was, uh, many years ago, there was a time in our church when many men were just discovering a man by the name of John MacArthur, faithful preacher of the gospel. But they were literally taking every single word that he had, that he said as being as if God had handed it down to him. And they were offended when I began to challenge some of MacArthur's wrong teachings. My wife, a few weeks ago, I mentioned, MacArthur has error, but is a faithful teacher. 
Sproul has error, but is a faithful teacher. My wife said, you didn't include yourself in that list. I said, you're, you're darn tootin' right I didn't include myself in that list. Uh, I have errors. I don't know what they are. But I have errors, I'm sure, as well. I am not infallible. Pastor Isaiah is not infallible. Trust Christ and his word. Respect your elders. Highly esteem them for their work, but don't make them your celebrities. Pastors must also be aware on the other side of seeking endearment from the congregation as Absalom did when he was seeking to take over the kingdom. Absalom, who won the hearts of the people, doing so with his concern, his false concern for the people. He was attempting to overthrow the kingdom. And in doing so, he was seeking to win the hearts of the people so that he would have enough support to overthrow his father. Saints, we must be careful. We must be careful. Men, we must be careful. Not to seek the endearments of the church so that they will follow us blindly. There are many men who have sought the endearment of the church and have gotten away with things that they should never be able to get away with. But because they had invested and and, uh, received so much equity back, they were able to make a lot of simple mistakes and choices and be put right back into the pulpit of preaching because they had won the hearts of the people. Brothers and sisters, Pastor Isaiah and I, we are accountable to God's word and to you. If we deviate from this, we should be removed. No matter how much you love us or care about us, if we deviate from God's word, we must be removed. We must be aware of saying things in order to just win people's hearts. Not being honest with them. Saying to them what they want to hear rather than what they should hear. Speak the truth in love. That's what we are commanded to do. So when I say things to you, and they come off as being maybe difficult for you to receive. Know that I'm not trying to win your heart. Know that I'm trying to help you to grow in Christ. Because I'm a field worker. It's my job to water. God gives the increase. But you'll get no growth if there is no water. And sometimes you need the sun. And sometimes it can be hot. But you and I need it for our growth. Some people... Draw endearment naturally, not by doing anything. Some people just naturally, people are drawn to them. They, they, people love them because of whatever reasons. That person who naturally draws endearment, endear, naturally draws endearment, he must be, must be aware. Seeing what people are, seeing how people are drawn to them, he must be aware. Always redirecting praise and endearment from him to Christ. Always redirecting. Don't praise me. Praise Christ for that. Praise Christ for that. Not allowing people to praise them. Correcting them when they do. Some people have said, you're the best pastor in the land. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I said this last week. Pastor Isaiah and I, not the best pastors in the country. Not the best pastors in the county. Not the best pastors in the city. I said that to Pastor Isaiah and he goes, really? We're not. (laughs) I said to him, there's no such thing. There's no such thing as the best pastor. There is only faithful men. That's what we are seeking to do in this church and to be faithful men. That's the appropriate redirection. We don't want bumper stickers of RBC on your car. 
We don't want to make t-shirts. Look at me, Reformation Bible Church. Don't do that. I go to a church where God's word is faithfully taught. That's what matters. That's it. When pastors or we must not make pastors uh, the only person who can speak the truth to us. If we do that, we're prizing preaching and the preacher way too much. That's cultic. That's dangerous. And what happens when that man passes on? Many churches have <clears throat> not survived the generational transition from the very popular preacher to the one that nobody knows. My dad is an example of that in this church. That transition. Everyone loved my dad. Nobody cared about me. That was a hard transition. Think about Charles Spurgeon Church. Think about the thousands that would pack into his church there to hear the prince of preachers they call him preach. What happened to that church after he passed, do you know that the thousands dwindled down to the dozens? The dozens. Because men and women were drawn more to a man than to Christ. Praise be to God, the church is, is thriving now. But what a hard period of time and what a wake up to those who were in office, who, the other elders and deacons in that church to see where have the thousands gone? Has the word changed? No, it's just a different man. But the word hasn't changed. When Pastor Isaiah and I pass from this place and whoever else the Lord raises up, is God's word faithfully being taught? Then praise God and prize the preaching. I ask you, saints, in moving on to our last point, could this be true of you? Do you prize the man or do you prize the Christ that the man proclaims? When we prize Christ, a man can never steal our heart. When we prize Christ, a man can never steal our heart. We should prize the preacher insofar as he preaches Christ and will and, and preaches Christ uh, because Christ alone should be exalted. Remember, Paul was viewed as being very unimpressive. They said he's not impressive when he preaches. So what did Paul do? Step up his game? All right. I, I've got a sermon for you the next time that I'm here. Paul does the opposite. I resolved to preach Christ and Him crucified and no more. He wouldn't step up to whatever expectations or desires they had. I resolved to preach Christ and Him crucified and nothing else. We prize preaching too highly when the other ordinances are also neglected and marginalized. We may criticize the sermon goer, but as we're sitting here, <clears throat> do we say, well, Let's, let's hurry up with the singing so that we can get to the sermon. Let's hurry up with the, the liturgy so that we can get to the sermon. Uh, let's, let's get over with this Lord's Supper because I'm already tired. I, I've heard the sermon. We should have an equal value, an equal desire for each of the ordinances or the sacraments, the means of grace that God has provided for His people. We must not be just sermon goers. All of these are means for our blessing and for our growth. Brothers and sisters, even the pace after our final amen. What happens when we say amen after this? All of this, we sing our hymn, when we give our doxology, when we give a blessing to the church. Are you ready to go? I've got things to do. What do you got to do? It's the Lord's day. Where are you going? Now, some of us, I know we need to get our babies home to go to sleep. Well, Dustin has more kids than all of you. I don't want to hear anybody saying I've got to get my one child home when our brother has five. 
maybe six or seven. Who knows? They're, there's, they're all over the place. Where do, we, where do we have to go? What are we in such a rush to do? It's the Lord's Day. This day has been provided for your rest. If we are doing things... Now, <clears throat> my wife and I were talking about this the other day. If we're doing things in between our services that are filling that time, that's, that's going to be dependent upon you and your conscience. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. But I will say this. <clears throat> you should be determined that you will join us for worship in the evening because it is the Lord's Day. You should gather with the saints. It's a command of Scripture. But are you preparing yourself in the in-between time to hear that evening sermon? Or are you filling your afternoon with, with activities and things so that when you finally come in the evening, your body has just, a, just this much strength in order to pay attention and maybe no strength in order to pay attention? What are you doing to prepare yourself for worship? That's, that's the, the question we must ask ourselves. What am, what am I doing to prepare myself for worship morning and evening? The day before, am I going to bed at a proper time? In between services, am I doing the things that, that encourage my rest and focus on preparing for worship in the evening? That's how we should spend the Lord's day. I had to go here, I had to go there, I had an errand here. Why are you doing all these things? And now you come back here... Pastor Isaiah or myself will be preaching and you barely have any attention span. It's the Lord's day. What else is more important? And after the final amen, could you not build someone up in the most holy faith? Could you not encourage at least one person? Let us not say, as long as I went to the sermon, that's all I care about. What's different than you and, some, and, and the Roman Catholic who just goes and gets their check mark? Preaching is one ordinance that stands among the other ordinances. And all must be given their fair and proper attention. Now, I'm going to move to our third and final point. These are going to go rapid fire because there's a number of them. And they're, they're not going to be much commentary on each point. Now, we have considered uh, despising preaching, how we might too highly prize preaching. Now let's discuss why we should prize preaching. Uh, we considered, again, the negatives. And now, I'd like us to consider this, that when the sermon is faithfully taught, Christ speaks to his people. So now, I pray, as the word of God has been going forth, Christ has been speaking to his people about how we might avoid two extremes. Uh, the extreme of despising and the extreme of too highly prizing. I think we made this point clear last week. Preaching carries the full authority of the written word of God. And if that's the case, then we should hold on to preaching in a high regard. Because God is speaking to us. This is why we ministers, and again, I'm guilty of this, and I, I always need to be very careful. We must be careful of making light, making jokes in our sermons. Why? Because this will cause the hearer, you, to lower our appreciation of the moment. To lower our appreciation and see the dignity of the moment. I am speaking about, again, going out of my way to be funny. Having my notes and in my notes insert, tell the joke here. This is God's word. 
And if it is God's word speaking to us, then we want every single word that comes from here to be as much of Christ speaking to us as possible. God's word is going forth. It has value. It has dignity. This is why we must give preaching our full attention. Because if we believe, as we've made the point last week, God is speaking as the word of God is faithfully and accurately being taught, then God is speaking to us now. And if God, if you had this burning bush experience, would you not take off your sandals? And would you not say, this is holy ground? But when God's word goes forth, this is holy ground. God is speaking to his people. Our, our attention should be completely here. And we give respect to different kind of people who hold different offices, lower than that of the pastor, when they speak. If the president was here, you would give him your full attention. If a governor or mayor was in the building and they had a moment to speak, you would give them their, your attention. Brothers and sisters, they have an office lower than that of the pastor. And what they say is not eternal things. It's temporal things. The man who speaks only speaks what comes from the man. But the man who speaks from this pulpit speaks what we believe comes from God. So we must prize preaching because it is God who speaks to us. God declares eternal things. And again, when done accurately, we are being blessed and receiving all the benefits of blessing from and benefits that God has promised from His Word. So, God tells us Himself why we should prize and appreciate preaching. Here are a number of points. Number one, because it is a source of faith. The Word of God and the Word preached is a source of faith. Faith comes from hearing, Romans 10.17, and hearing from the Word of Christ. The preaching of the Word, the Word of God, is the ordinary means of salvation. It's the means that the Lord has used and determined to bring people to Himself. Romans 10 declares the Gospel, that Christ died and rose from the dead for us and for our salvation. And this is for everyone, Jew and Gentile. All who call upon the name of Christ will be saved. And we who call upon Christ will never be put to shame. Paul says, how will they, how will they know, hear, and believe unless someone comes and preaches? How will they hear Christ unless someone comes and preaches? Faith comes. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing the word of what? The word of Christ. The word of Christ. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing what? The word of Christ. So this morning you are hearing the word of Christ preached, declared, proclaimed as God ordinarily uses this word to bring sinners from darkness to light. Dear saints, this is why we must not, we must not distract or be distracted when the message is going forth. Is God speaking? Then we must not be a distraction or be distracted. When God's word is going forth, God is using this message to bring people to himself. Therefore, our distraction or being distracted may hinder, may very well hinder someone from believing the gospel, hearing the gospel, and even yourself from believing the gospel, hearing the gospel. Our attention should be on the word. There's nothing going on right now that's more important. No conversation needs to be had right now. Unless it's absolutely necessary. There's nothing going on outside in the foyer that matters. Go to the bathroom before you sit down. Shut your phones off if you're able. Drink your coffee. 
Do whatever you need to do so that you will not be distracted or be a distraction from the Word of God preached. God is speaking. It is because it is God's Word. It is because it is the means by which sinners are saved. Saints are sanctified. God speaks. So prize preaching. Let me ask you, is there anything more important than your and my eternal destiny? Is there anything more important than the destiny of the person who's sitting next to you? Are we teaching our children to prize preaching? Are we teaching them to, to behave, to be quiet? And listen, the sooner the better. The sooner the better. The children who are out there in their class, they will be here one day. The sooner the better that they learn how to prize preaching. Are we desperate that they, the kids, would hear the gospel and believe it? And that they would be saved? Is there anything more important to you in your life? That your kids would be saved? Well, then how are you cultivating that? Have we brought them a Bible? Do we ask them to to bring it or do we bring them coloring books instead? Do we give them our phones to keep them entertained? Even those who are in the nursery right now, who are in the baby's room, the, the speakers have been placed in there so that those who are in there can hear the sermon, not have random conversations. The, the speakers have been placed in there so they don't, they don't miss anything. And, and let me encourage uh, fathers, I would encourage you, maybe you let your wife sit in here sometimes and you go take care of the kids. See how difficult it is to listen to a sermon and also watch over your children. I'm speaking to myself as well. You'll see me at times sitting here with my daughter, Selah. So that my wife can hear and benefit from the sermon. It's my responsibility to bring her before Christ purified. And if I'm saying to her, you're on your own, then what what kind of a job am I doing as husband and father to help her grow in Christ? I thought these were going to be rapid fire. Let me get quicker. Look, do we want our unconverted friends and family members to come to faith? Invite them to come and hear the gospel because Christ speaks. Don't be afraid that your pastor is going to say something crazy or off the wall. Here's God's word. Here's what it says. We should prize preaching because it is at this moment. The gospel is preached. The mysteries of faith are unveiled. And we hear Christ. Let me run through these quicker. It is a source of truth. Sanctify them. John 17, 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Dear saints, the word of God contains that which is necessary for faith and obedience. When the word of God is preached, truth is preached. Right assumptions, right conclusions are being delivered. And we must prize them greatly. Thirdly, it's a source of freedom. The word of God is a source of freedom. Preach word, source of freedom. Jesus said in John 8.31, If you hold to my teachings... You are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth. And what does the world say? They even know it. But they don't have the truth. And the truth will set you free. Christ is the truth. Christ says, if you hold to my teachings, then you will know the truth. And truth, that is Christ, will set you free. When the word is preached, freedom is proclaimed. Not freedom from financial debt. Not freedom from sin, or freedom from the sin debt that you and I owed to God. And not freedom from the tax collector. Freedom from sickness. Freedom from the bondage and the sickness of sin. Going on. It's a source of freedom from error. 
Not only is it a source of freedom, but it's also a source of freedom from error. Matthew twenty two twenty nine. You are in error because you do not know the Scriptures or the power of God. When we know God's Word, we will be free from the errors and heresies that seek to distort our understanding. We'll be free from the false teachings and religions of this world. We'll be free from misunderstandings of what God has intended for His people. Then we should prize preaching. I pray that there's been times when you've taught, you've heard the word preach and said, I always believed this. Today I heard from God, God's word. It is something completely different than what I ever thought it was. Now I don't have to walk in the error anymore. When we preach, theology is being explained by the logos, the word of God, the unfolding of the mysteries of God. We should prize preaching and bask in the truth of God's word. Moving on. It is a source of spiritual food. Source of spiritual food. Jesus said, man, Matthew 4, 4. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus said in John 6, 63. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of truth or full of spirit and life. We preach, sheep are being fed. We preach, you are being prepared to come and receive all of the food that God has for you. Have you brought your, 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 your utensils this morning? Have you got your plate? Have you got your knife and your spoon and your fork? Those are your, your utensils. How are you growing in Christ today? Let me say this. I pray that you are able to receive the word of God just as you hear it. Some of us, including myself, are not so gifted. I'm not making this law. I'm making this a wisdom suggestion. I would encourage you, take notes. Take notes. We're teaching you how to do proper hermeneutics. We're teaching you, giving you all of these points. There should be nothing that you're missing. We're giving it all to you. Now, some of you can walk away and say, I can give you all the different points. That's great. I can't do that. It's a wisdom suggestion that I'm giving you. It's not law. You're not going to go to hell if you don't take notes. But I would encourage you. It would be good for you. It would be helpful for you. Why? Because you're being fed food. And taking notes will help you to better understand how you can separate the things that are important or even notes. Whatever. Next point. It's a source of spiritual growth. First uh, Peter, like newborn babies crave spiritual milk so that it may, you may grow up in your salvation. As you eat, you grow. The word of God is going forth this morning. You hopefully are eating, growing, and then therefore maturing as you spiritually eat. Therefore, you are not passive participators. When the sermon is going forth, you are not passive. You should be active. Meaning, when the sermon goes forth, we don't lean back in our chair, cross our leg, cross our arms, take a big yawn, go ahead, let me entertain me. When the word of God goes forth, we are leaning in. We are actively participating. I'm speaking. You're listening. I'm speaking. Christ is speaking. Christ is speaking. We are engaging our minds. For some of us who are taking notes, you're writing different things that are sparking off in your own head. You're engaged in the sermon. You're engaged in the sermon. Can I say to you, that's also how you don't fall asleep. It's a good way to not fall asleep. You're engaged here. We're working together through this sermon. We're eating. We're digesting. We're growing together via God's Word. Next one. It's a source of victory over temptation. Psalm 119.11 I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You could go through all of the 119th Psalm and read all of the benefits that God's word provides for his people. But dear saints, when the word of God dwells in you richly, it will be able to keep you from sin. Keep you from temptation. You counter all of the temptations of the world, the flesh, and the devil with what? 
with God's truth. You know the temptations are a lie. How do you counter a lie? With truth. When you know truth, you turn away from the lie of temptation. It says it will satisfy. God's truth says no, it won't. It says that it will fulfill you. God's truth says no, it won't. Know God's word. Going on. It's a source of happiness and blessedness. Luke eleven twenty eight. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and put it into practice. Have you come this morning for your blessing? Here it is. God's word. It's found in God's word. Preached to God's people. And it is able to cause you to be free. To know truth. To be fed spiritually. To resist temptation. And in doing this, you should be blessed when you hear God's word. The word of God is a blessing for you. It's a source of holiness. How can a young man, Psalm 119.9, how can a young man stay on the path of purity by living according to your word? John 17.17, 17, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. We are being sanctified, made holy. The Holy Spirit using this means of preaching to purify our hearts and our minds. This morning, you are being made holy by God's word pouring over you. It's a source of exposure. A source of exposure. Uh, Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. When the word of God goes forth, when the word of God is preached, the man of God stands here, preaches a message that is meant for all saints of all times. And there are times when the word of God goes forth and we feel like our, our dirty laundry is being aired out. Like the man of God has been reading our mail. Brothers and sisters, we should praise God for that. We should, pre- we should praise God for the moments in which it feels like, it seems like, the preacher is talking specifically about us. Don't take offense to that. Praise God for it. What is God doing? Correcting sin. Exposing sin. Removing it. And is it fun? It's never fun. It may sound like, you're talking about me today. I'm talking about all of you today. I'm talking about me and you and all Christians of all times. We are all guilty of these things. Let us correct them with God's help. We are being exposed. Now, the minister must be aware of being too specific. Too specific. That's a danger. But when it sounds, sometimes something sounds so specific, but it really is general. That all people have experienced things like this in relationships, in ideas, in thoughts, in personal experiences whatsoever. That it seems like it's ours, but it's very common amongst most people. Let the word of God expose you. It's a source of warning. When we are exposed, it's a warning. 1 Corinthians 10.11 These things happen to them as examples were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages have come. When the word of God exposes, it's a warning. Turn from this way. There is a path that you are heading toward that is dangerous. Turn from it. Turn from it. Repent of sin. Turn to Christ. Take heed to the warning. Don't be offended by the pastor. Take it as being a warning from God who says, I see you. Turn from that sin and be blessed. When you turn from it, it's a source of guidance. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to to guide my feet and a light for my path. When we're exposed, when we're given these warnings, our response should be, lead me then, O Lord. As we sang this morning, he leadeth me. Guide my pathway. The word of the Lord does just that. It is a light for our path. As the word of God is preached, let us pray. 
prize it, that God has given us light in our darkness. Okay, I've been exposed. I have been given this warning. What am I to do now? And God shows us a light and says, go this way. It's in his word. It's a source then of comfort. Isn't it, isn't it wonderful when a light, when you're walking around in the darkness and then a light is turned on for you? Oh, thank God I can see now. It's what God's word is. It's a source of comfort. So, uh, Romans 15.4, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance taught in the scriptures and encouragement, they provide for us. They provide uh, a way that we might have hope. We're given light in the darkness. And that is a source of comfort. Let's go on. It's a source of answered prayer. Lord, help me when I'm in the darkness. God gives us a light. It's comforting. And it's an answer to prayer. You know that God answers those prayers? Jesus said in John 15, 7, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. When we come to worship, we pray that God will powerfully use the means of grace of his word and of the supper and of everything else to conform us into Christ's likeness. That means that God uses his word to affect and renew our lives. Preaching helps us know what we are doing and why we're doing them. Why we pray, why we sing, why we read, why we preach, why we partake of the Lord's Supper. Preaching explains all of these things. Preaching then is to be prized very highly. It's a source of God's answered prayer. I pray that this morning that you would remember that as we wait for the blessed return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that we should not despise preaching. We should not too highly prize preaching. But we should prize preaching for all of the ways that it blesses us, challenges us, comforts us, and directs us. And there's so many. As I was going through all of the, the ways we should prize preaching, I could think of 20 more. We would have been here until the evening service. Why don't you go home as one of your assignments? What are the ways in which God's word benefits his people? And remember, God's word, if it is accurately being preached and taught, is, is the same thing as when it's being read. God's word is God's word. Go home, find out what ways does God's word benefit his people. I'm sure you'll find many more ways than I discussed this evening or this morning. Let's pray.